Children ages three through first grade, a.k.a. our future youth praise band, uh, are welcome to participate in Children's Church. They're going to be heading out these doors to the right. All right, a pitter-patter of little feet. Please open your Bibles to James chapter 1. We are just starting um, a couple weeks into this series that we're calling the uh, Protestant Transformation, rather than just uh, uh, maybe some of you have heard of the Protestant Reformation before. That's a, still a good, a good title, but I think in our culture, people hear the word Reformation and they go, uh, something's wrong, something's negative that needs to be um, addressed and so on. Uh, but transformation, I think we can all get on board with. We know it's, that's, a, that's a good thing. We want to be transformed, and that's really what the, uh, our fathers and mothers in the faith were, were doing 500 years ago anyway, is being transformed by the power of the gospel. Uh, this fall is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, 500 years ago, they spoke a lot of Latin. <laughs> so they had these things called the five Solas. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Um, we're going to begin our series by looking at these five um, anthems, these, these rallying cries of the Reformation where uh, they believed that Scripture taught um, that Scripture alone is the authority for what to believe about God and what we're supposed to do with our lives. And that in Scripture, God has revealed that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that because it all comes from God, he alone gets the glory. To God alone be the glory. This morning we're going to zero in on grace alone and talk about what that means. Uh, the Latin phrase was sola gratia. Um, gratia is a word that you're maybe familiar with through words like grat- gratitude um, and um, being ungrateful. Uh, or gratuitous, you know, just piling it on um, and, uh, and, and with lots and lots of grace. So grace, grace is our theme. Um, <clears throat> there was a, it's a legend or, you know, there's probably some, some truth in it, but there's a story about a, a, like a big ecumenical conference over in Europe, um, you know, in the middle of the 20th century, and so all these religious bigwigs were gathered together. There were scholars and pastors and teachers and, um, and so on. And so they were all debating about the uniqueness of Christianity. How is, how is Christianity unique from other world religions? And people were kicking around some different ideas, and some thought, well, maybe it's the incarnation, how God took on human flesh uh, and became, uh, became a man. And so... And others were saying, well, there's some other religions out there that have, you know, the gods or the God appearing in human form. And so, you know, maybe we need to keep looking. And then somebody said, well, maybe what's unique about Christianity is the resurrection, right? And um, Jesus rose from the dead. And how many other religions talk about that? And someone raised their hand and said, well, there actually are, you know, other stories and accounts, you know, they're more peripheral. The resurrection is really central to Christianity, but even though they're peripheral, there still talks about, you know, immortality and people being raised from the dead. And so they're like, yeah, all right, maybe we should move on. And by that point, the conversation was starting to get a little heated. People were starting to get a little bit, you know, uh, intense in their opinions. And in walks C.S. Lewis, fashionably late. 
uh, and, uh, and he, can, he can sort of sense the, the, the emotional temperature in the room had risen a little bit. Uh, and in his um, stereotypically British fashion, sits down and asks, what's all the rumpus about? You know, if you're British, you can say rumpus. Uh, and so people were explaining to him the nature of the debate uh, about what exactly is unique to Christianity. Without missing a beat, C.S. Lewis says, well, that's easy. It's grace. Do you ever think about grace being what's unique to Christianity? C.S. Lewis said, that's easy. It's grace. Well, I agree with him in one sense, and I don't agree with him in the other sense. It's easy in that, yes, that is the answer. That's what's unique about Christianity. It's not so easy to keep that in front of us. It's not so easy to remember that Christianity is about God's grace to us. If, uh, if you've got your Bibles open, go ahead and uh, let's stand in honor of God's word. I'm going to read these uh, three verses from James chapter 1, uh, 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, we, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you give us good gifts. You give us perfect gifts. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for teaching us as your children, to call you that, for revealing yourself to us as a loving Father, a good, good Father. Would you help us to receive your word now? Would you help us to believe who you are as you have, um, have declared yourself to be, the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow, no turning. We pray this through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> So here in just a, a few verses, you get this beautiful description of a beautiful father. Um, sort of, this is, I mean, it's one thing for us to, as we were singing, well, you, know, you can ask a hundred, a thousand different people about their view of God, and everybody's kind of got their, their idea of who God is, and maybe even some of those are ideals of, of who God is. But really, our idea of God has to match with reality. Who is God, in fact? And and isn't it a beautiful thing that God reveals himself and, and, and that even not just matches the ideal, it surpasses it. He's this, this good God who gives good gifts, perfect gifts, and they come down from him gratuitously. Uh, he's this father of lights, a father of brilliance and beauty and perfection and glory, and that's what comes from him. Those sorts of things. There's, he doesn't change. He doesn't get grumpy, he doesn't, you know, have bad days, everything with him is good and perfect and true. And when he created the world, when he made everything according to his design, he could step back and say, this is good, this is very good. On the seventh day, he rested from his work. Why? Because he was tired? No. He rested because it was good. He couldn't improve on it. As an artist, if you've ever struggled with making a creation, or if you're even a, 
a chef or a dancer or a musician or, you know, whatever you create, it's how often do you step back from some, something and say, that is it, nailed it. You don't. Nobody does. But God does. Because he's that good and his gifts are that perfect and that, that precious. So that's, that's how he's revealing himself as, you know, the one who gives these good and perfect gifts. And then something else that's remarkable here is that the, the, the language that James used, he says every good gift and every perfect gift. That means that if there is any good gift, if there is any perfect gift, it comes from him. And so where does that leave us? It leaves us in this perpetual state of grace, of, of receptivity. If we're going to get anything good in this world, if anything good is going to happen, it's going to be because he makes it happen, because he gives us goodness. I like how Brendan Manning uh, puts it. We, we uh, read from him last week. He says that grace proclaims the awesome truth that all is a gift. Grace proclaims the awesome truth that all is gift. All that is good is ours, not by right, but by the sheer bounty of a gracious God. What we have is not ours by right, not by entitlement, you know, not because we've earned it, but by the sheer bounty of a gracious God. So Manning goes on to say, while there is much we may have earned, our degree and our salary, our home and garden, a miller light and a good night's sleep, all this is possible only because we have been given so much, life itself, eyes to see and hands to touch, a mind to shape ideas and a heart to beat with love, right? I mean, so that's, at the end of the day, anything that you've earned, you've manufactured, you've created, uh, that all, you know, goes back however many degrees and cycles to the one who gave you the raw materials and the gifts, you know, the story about a different conference, not a theological conference. This is a scientific conference, and these scientists got together, and they said, you know, we've made so many advances in, uh, you know, genetic engineering and artificial intelligence and so on. We can make life. We don't need God. God is ancillary. And so they go to God, and they've got their, you know, they take straws, or who's going to talk to God? And so the one draws the straws, and he goes to God and says, God, we've decided that you're no longer necessary. We don't need you to create life. We can do it ourselves. And um, they have like a little bit of a, of a throwdown. Remember Bobby Flay, you know, showdown? You, you kind of have to cook and beat, beat Bobby Flay on the Food Network. They have their version of a scientific uh, throwdown uh, to, to beat God and to create uh, a human being. And God takes their challenge, just like Bobby Flay would. And he says, okay, so this is how we'll do it. Um, we're going to do it according to Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, and we're going to start with dirt, right? And so uh, the scientists say, that sounds great to us. We got this. We're good. And uh, God says, well, all right, you go first. And so the scientists, they all gather together, and they start scooping up the dirt. And God says, stop right there. Get your own dirt, right? You have to, you have to make your own dirt first. Um, and, and that's the whole point here is that every thing that we have, everything that we manufacture, ultimately, it just, it goes back to the one who gave us the gifts in the first place. He gives us not only the raw materials, he gives us a mind and a heart and a body and all these things that are gifts to us. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you did not receive? I mean, really, when you think about it, 
What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you still boast as if you did not receive it? Right? If you have received everything, why do we have this attitude of entitlement? Why do we have this attitude of I deserve better? Um, and that's what's behind all of our self-pity. That's what's behind our boasting. That's what's you know, behind our bad days, if you really kind of trace it all the way back. I deserve better. I'm entitled. I've worked hard. I'm not getting what's, what's deserved me. And, you know, the gospel flies right in the face of that and says, you know what? Everything is grace. Everything is a gift. Manning, in his quote, goes on to say things like, my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. At the end of the day, that's what grace declares. Everything is a gift, even my relationship with God. I've done nothing to earn it or deserve it because it comes to him just like every other good gift. If every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights, then that means every gift, including your salvation including your relationship with God, because he is a good father. Jesus was, um, was giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he was talking about who God is. Uh, a lot of people are confused about the nature of God. And he said, God is not like our you know, human representations. When we project our idea of how people should react and how people should relate, and we think that's who God is. God is not like us. He's better than us. And Jesus would go on to say things like, who of you, which of you, um, you know, fathers and mothers, uh, if your child, your son or daughter comes up to you and says, I'm hungry, can I, can I have a Pop-Tart? You know, which of you is going to give them a pebble? <laughs> Here, chew on this, kid, you know, and break all your teeth. God's not going to give a stone to his child who needs bread. Um, God is not going to give a snake to a kid who asks for a fish. And then Luke adds um, uh, this, God, if the child comes and asks for an egg, God's not going to give them a scorpion. You're, you're not going to give your child a scorpion. God's not going to give uh, you a bad gift. He doesn't have bad days, and he's not grumpy and so on. You know, this is the goodness of our Father. If you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Does your Father in Heaven know how to give good gifts? All right? This is our good Father. Uh, Miroslav Volv puts it this way, to give to God is like taking out of God's right hand his good gift to you, and giving to God is taking a good gift out of his right hand and then just simply offering it back to him and putting it in his left hand. That's, that's what giving to God is like. Uh, everything comes from him, everything is from him, everything is for him, everything is to him, to him be glory forever. So James here uh, begins this, this little brief passage about the goodness of God by telling us not to be deceived. Look at verse 16, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren, don't be deceived, and that is really uh, a follow-up to what came earlier, if you've got your Bibles open, look at verse 13. Um, James is pointing out the fact that there are people who think that when bad things happen and when temptation comes, that God's responsible for that. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God tempts no one. Don't be deceived. 
That temptation comes from someplace else. That temptation doesn't come from the father of lights. That temptation comes from the father of lies. Uh, Jesus was describing Satan as a murderer from the beginning. Uh, He always lies. He's the father of lies. And Satan is responsible for the lies that we believe uh, as we are tempted and, and start thinking all this crazy stuff about who God is. So, you know, James is warning us, don't give in to that false understanding of who God is. Uh, don't be deceived. So let me do a little true and false quiz. I'm really, this is, we're going live here. This is real time. This is true and false quiz. And I want you to tell me, true or false, some good and perfect gifts don't come from above. True or false? False. Not every gift from above is good and perfect. True or false? False. True or false? Some good and perfect gifts don't come down to us. True or false? That one's debatable, isn't it? All right. Next one, the father of lights is fickle. Changes like a shadow. True or false? Lastly, we brought ourselves forth by our own will and according to our own word. True or false? False. You can make an argument that every one of those is false. But how often are we deceived into thinking God's holding out on me? What he's given me isn't good, or he's depriving me of what is good. Um, I can't trust him. He's capricious. He's, you know, kind of in and out like a leprechaun god or something like that. I know you don't say you believe that. And I know I don't say I believe that. But how often do we just kind of slip into that that mode of thinking about who God is. Our attitudes betray us. Our hearts are telling the truth about what we believe. And many, many times what's going on in our hearts isn't pretty. It's basically believing the lie that God's holding out on us. That was the very first temptation. The original temptation back in the garden, things have not changed much. The, uh, the ancient evil enemy comes along and he's tempting us to believe that God is withholding good gifts from you. And what he gives you isn't good. If he was really good, he would have given you access to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he didn't. So guess what? He doesn't want you to become like him, knowing good and evil. So I think you should take a bite. And I think you should experience real life. And the rest was history. A tragic history. You know, this this whole idea of being deceived and not believing that God is fundamentally good. What God gives me is good. I have what I need. This fundamental idea that God's holding out on me is responsible for sin, really, if you think, as you think about it, in all of its manifestations. It's what makes us ungrateful, and it's what makes us ungracious. And we start thinking about the gifts that he gives us and how we're not using those properly. You know, when we use God's gifts and we fail to acknowledge him by being, you know, grateful for the fact that this comes from a good God, it's a good gift, and I should live in response to that. Instead, we take his gifts, we think we're entitled to them, and then we use them in ways that are contrary to how um, blessing is supposed to come through them. Uh, and we do that with everything. But just, just for an example, think about your own body. The bodies that he's given us, this is a gift. Yours is a gift, mine's a gift. And do we really receive our bodies as gifts and use them the way God intended them? 
And you just have to think about sex as an example. Sex is this beautiful gift that God has blessed uh, humanity with. Uh, it's the coming together of one body with another to express with vulnerability and tenderness and approachability um, that uh, there's a covenant bond between a man and a woman that's lifelong in marriage. And that's, that's what sex is designed to be, that expression of two bodies coming together, to be one, you know, actually a picture of the three in one. But we don't use it that way. We don't receive it as a gift. Instead, we think we're entitled to use our body the way that I want to use it according to my own self-fulfillment. And if it makes me happy to use my body sexually in a way that isn't honoring to God, then I'm just going to do it. And we, you know, we abuse the gift. Um, we're ungrateful and ungracious. What about our bellies? Uh, God gave us this incredible intricate design of digestion um, that is just mind-blowing how you take food in and it breaks it down and uh, creates it into fuel that blesses your body uh, and with our bellies you know we're not recognizing all the good gifts we're not taking care of ourselves etc uh, what about your mouth and your tongue you know James goes on to say that the tongue is this you know, restless evil, full of deadly poison. With, with it, we, you know, on the one hand, we bless God and then we curse our neighbor. Are we really using the gift of words the way God intended? Or are we using our words as weapons that don't bring blessing at all? They bring, you know, cursing instead. So what about your, your job, you know, your, uh, your money, all the gifts that God gives us, um, we take those gifts and we end up turning and worshiping, you know, uh, the idol of Amazon or the, uh, you know, the idol of Target, uh, all bow down to the concentric circles. Uh, and these are just the ways, some of the ways. But the gifts that God gives us, instead of, a, instead of making us grateful and gracious, um, we end up becoming ungrateful and ungracious because we think God's holding out, because we think we've earned this, we deserve this somehow. Um, and that's the, basically when you get down to, again, that question that C.S. Lewis answered, what's unique about Christianity, what makes it different from all the other religions of the world is that, that fundamental posture of grace. We are the, the recipients of God's grace. Uh, how can we be right with God? It's, it's recognizing that everything is a gift, especially our relationship with God. Because all religions, all world religions, and even like the little you know, um, uh, cult religions and so on, are all trying to essentially answer the same question. How, how can I be right with God? Or the gods? Or you know, whatever the formation of deity is. They're all asking the same question fundamentally, you know, how can God and I have a good relationship? Uh, in our language, in the Bible's language, you'll hear words like righteousness or justified or justification. That's all basically answering the same question. How can God and I be right? How can I be right before God? All other religions, according, you know, uh, to use C.S. Lewis's example, are answering that question according to what we think we deserve instead of God's grace. Um, so if you have liberal religions, um, religions where uh, the, basically the, the, the thinking is, as long as you're a nice person, you know, whatever your concept of God is, as long as you're a nice person, uh, that concept of God owes it to you to be nice to you. God owes you 
that degree of niceness. And if you're a super nice person, God's going to be super nice to you. And if you're just sort of a nice person, you've got your bad days and your good days. You're sort of nice. You know, God's going to be nice to you. Maybe, there's, maybe he's going to be nicer to nicer people, but you'll still be okay. Because he owes it to you as a nice person. So whether you're a liberal Christian, whether you're a liberal Muslim, whether you're a liberal Hindu, whether you're a liberal Buddhist, or whether you're a liberal, you know, you fill in the blank, it all boils down to the same principle. Be nice and God's going to be nice to you. Be nice and the gods are going to be nice to you. Well, what about, what about the stricter, you know, more serious versions of all of those religious expressions? You know, what are their rules? Well, fundamentally, their way of thinking about how to be right with God is to work really hard for him and to, be, to make huge sacrifices for God, for the gods. If you make big sacrifices for God, then guess what? He's going to bless you. Your eternity is going to be great. It's going to be really good for you. Because he owes it to you because of all the sacrificing that you've, you've done, all the hard religious work that you've done as a Christian or a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu. And that's, do you, do you see how it doesn't even matter if you're on one end of the spectrum, the really sort of lenient liberal end or the super strict legalistic end of the spectrum? It's the same spectrum, which is God owes it to you. And that has nothing at all to do with Christianity. Christianity isn't about entitlement. You're not entitled to this, and I'm not entitled to this. Jesus comes to us as a gift. He's God's expression of grace and love to us. Jesus, as Paul says in Galatians 2, he says, I I dare not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness, or being right with God, If righteousness were through the law, through my efforts and being entitled, then Christ died for no purpose. It means nothing anymore. Why did Christ die? Christ died on a cross to take away my ingratitude, to take away my ungraciousness. Christ, I mean, the irony is that God sends Jesus as his greatest expression of love for us, as this great gift to us, why? To, to send him into an arena where we would do exactly the same thing we've been doing, which is taking God's good gifts and abusing them and using them for our purposes. God sends Jesus, the gift of his son to us, and what do we do? We abuse him and use him. And he goes to a cross for our sins to remedy the very thing that you know, he was experiencing by being used and abused by us to forgive us for that. So that all who put their faith in him, we can have our sins taken away, all of our uh, wrong ways of thinking about God and relating to him, those are, those are taken away and buried in the grave. And Jesus rose from the dead three days later, completely free of the sentence of sin. That means he's clean, that means it's done, it's finished, it's paid for, and all who have faith in him are declared just as good as he is. We get his rightness applied to us. So God, on the one hand, takes our sins away, and then he gives us this acceptance with him. You're good. We're good. We're, we're all right now. <laughs> and our relationship with God is restored by grace. We, 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 not that we even 
want, if we could, we wouldn't, and even if we wanted to, we couldn't um, make ourselves right with him. There's nothing you and I can, can do that would make God entitled to us, obliged to us. And it has to be by grace. And that's this beauty of, of why Jesus is this picture of God's grace to us. As Paul says later in Ephesians, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one is boasting before God, saying, hey, look at all the good stuff I did. Look at all the huge sacrifices, or look how nice I was. That means nothing. What, what means everything is Jesus, what he did and what he suffered in our place. And that's, uh, when you look at, at uh, James, verse 18, what he says when he's wrapping up, he says, of his own will, God brought us forth. Literally, it says he gave birth to us. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. All right? So when it says that of his own will he brought us forth, that means of his decision, it was his uh, um, initiative to love us and pursue us and to give us Jesus. His gift to us was completely free. No strings attached. He wasn't under any duress or any obligation to bless us with Jesus. It was his own will. Just like a baby is born, that baby did not have any say in the matter whether or not they were going to be born. That baby comes out kicking and screaming and, you know, guess what, kid? Welcome to the world. Mom and dad determined this for you. Um, So God, in his own will, brought us forth by the word of truth. And he didn't even spare his son to do that. And as we're talking about God is this good father who gives us good gifts, perfect gifts. Uh, If you're like me and you you sort of have that innate skeptic inside of you, uh, you might have wondered, well, all right, that sounds good. But we only have to look down at the Gulf Coast and the Caribbean islands and see the path of destruction of two hurricanes, more hurricanes on the way, and just go, what in the world? Where are their good gifts? Where are the gifts for the people, for, for children who don't have enough to eat? And where are the gifts for people that don't have clean drinking water? Where are the gifts for people that don't have adequate health care? Where are the gifts for people who are homeless? And, and frankly, who are homeless because they don't have enough going on upstairs to just even, you know, connect the dots to get a home. Um, where are their gifts? And that's a valid question. Those are valid questions. If you're not asking those questions, maybe you're not looking around enough. And to answer, to, to try to answer those questions, to wrestle with those questions would probably require an entire other sermon series. But can you just, can I offer this to you? Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with Jesus graciously give us all things? Life will never make sense. God will never make sense to you without Jesus. Without Jesus who is the greatest gift, the most precious thing that God could give us, he gave us Jesus. How will he not, along with Jesus, in light of the fact that God gave us Jesus, can we trust him 
In light of the fact that there's things that we'll never know this side of glory, um, there's the mystery of human responsibility and corruption and greed, and not to mention the world that is groaning for its redemption, and all of those are part of the, the complicated response to why in the world is all this terrible stuff going on. But at the end of the day, if we take our eyes off of Jesus, you're, you're, you're just going to spiral. But if you keep Jesus in front of you, he is the evidence of the heart of a good God who gives good and perfect gifts, and he loves us. And he who did not spare his son, we can trust his heart, regardless of all the, the, the mess and the garbage that's going on in us. So God has saved us from our ungraciousness by giving us the ultimate in his grace, and that is Jesus. And he did that not only to make uh, to uh, this relationship with us repaired, you know, to accept us and to say, all right, we're good. Things are right between us. He goes on to form us into his children, to bear the family resemblance. Of his own will, he brought us into this world, and then of his continued work in us, we call that sanctification, I mean, as he graciously works in us, he makes us bear the family resemblance. So as his children, when we talk about how we're, you know, God reveals himself in Scripture alone, he saves us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and God alone gets the glory. When we think about the grace of God and his righteousness, we, you've heard me talk already, it's not a works righteousness at all that we're talking about. It's this, this righteousness that comes by grace. Well, there's a... There's another kind of wrong righteousness that we want to kind of confront and push against. There's the righteousness that thinks that I'm right because of my works. And then there's the righteousness that says it believes in God through grace alone and Jesus alone. And all that's great. All those solos are wonderful. Uh, But this person becomes kind of not, not consumed with works righteousness, but they adopt this different kind of righteousness called jerk righteousness. They just become really arrogant and self absorbed. And, you know, hey, I've got my great theology. I've got a great church, God saved me by grace alone, and those suckers who think that they're saved by their works, I can't believe that. What a bunch of idiots. And you're still a very ungracious, ungrateful person. Even though we say we believe, you know, all these things. What if the grace of God through Jesus Christ could so powerfully work in your heart that you and I become far more gracious, become a far more accurate reflection of our Father in heaven who gives good and perfect gifts. Um, I can't remember which Christmas it was. I can't even remember if it was a Christmas, but I think I remember a time when we were wrapping gifts uh, for our kids, and, uh, and you know in the flurry of things how it can go sometimes where uh, one gift for one person gets wrapped, but it was actually you know, and tagged for this other person, and that other gift, you know, gets confused, and so I think it was Michael and Sarah Christmas morning, Michael unwraps his present that's addressed to him, but it's Sarah's gift, and Sarah unwraps her present, and it's addressed to her, but it's Michael's gift, and ha, 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 isn't that funny, what a mistake, all right, switch them up, but what if, what if that's how it was supposed to work? How does Christianity compare to all the other religions? What makes Christianity unique? Grace. The gifts that you and I have been given from the Father above, yeah, 
He means to bless us with them. But you know what's unique about Christianity? You're not entitled to that gift. That gift is actually, it's addressed to you. It blesses you. But you know what? It's intended for somebody else. Everything you have. Everything you and I have is intended to bring the blessings of the kingdom of God to bear on other people's lives. Who you are, what you have, how can you use what you have the way God uses what he has to bless people and to show people who your father is. They can get a vision, a view of a good and perfect father who gives good and perfect gifts. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for loving us and giving us Jesus, for giving us this gift uh, beyond description and beyond imagination, who would love us so perfectly in his life and in his death and in his resurrection so that we might have life through him. Thank you for the gift of a relationship with you through faith in him. Thank you for the gift of being in your family and being adopted as your sons and daughters and how you did that for us. And then you didn't stop there, but you give us your spirit so that we can, can put on more of the family resemblance so that our lives would be filled more and more uh, with gratitude instead of ingratitude, with graciousness instead of ungraciousness, uh, so that people around us, family members and classmates and neighbors and coworkers and everyone we run into can get visions, big and small, of the grace of our God and Father. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Stand together.